So the same pattern that we saw in iron ore and we saw in copper two, three weeks ago is now coming up and repeating in silver uh, predominantly, but also in the gold miners. So, so on, on a relative margin risk, I'm increasing exposure to miners in gold and to uh, the uh, silver in terms of the futures, because that chart, in my opinion, and out of charges, but, but from my 30 years of experience, the chart right now in, in silver is quite beautiful. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Saxo Bank's Chief Investment Officer, Steen Jacobson. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Steen, in which he explains why he calculates inflation will run hotter and longer than the Federal Reserve is projecting, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Steen and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to this channel by clicking the red subscribe button below. All right, and now here's part two of our interview with Steen Jacobson. Um, all right, well, I wanna, I wanna wrap up quickly, but, but um, very quickly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious on this inflation thing, um, you were sort of answering as to, uh, you know, how it might impact uh, the economy, the markets and, and the folks that are running the decision. But I wonder if, if what ends up kind of becoming the, 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 um, the thing that causes a real shakeup of the system might not be the market so much as it is a social response. You know, you just mentioned, you know, some of the dramatic increases we're seeing in the cost of living that, that people in America and, and elsewhere are seeing. And these are in the essentials. These are in food prices. These are in gasoline prices, et cetera. Um, you know, we saw the Arab Spring, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, you know, ripple across uh, North America and uh, North Africa and the Mideast. And, and it largely was because, you know, cost of living there skyrocketed overnight practically and people just couldn't feed their families. And when that happens, you don't really have any other option except rising up against who's running the system because it's just not working for you. Do you worry at all that, that uh, this could get out of hand enough that the, the real um, straw that breaks the camel's back here is actually a social straw and not a financial straw? But in my book, it is still the same reason. I guess, I guess they're quite related. Right? Yeah, no, it's inflation, and you're absolutely right. And and you know, just for for, for the benefit of the the, the viewers, that you know, FOA, the food agency of UN price index is up over thirty percent year over year, and energy prices up about sixty seventy percent. And what's interesting about it, the inflation definition is that the average consumer really only sees inflation in two ways: through rising gasoline prices and through rising uh, agriculture prices at the supermarkets. And as you say, that is exactly what's happening. And that's why this phase of the inflation is very dangerous because higher uh, prices on food, higher prices on gasoline is a direct tax on consumption, which you know go to the central argument of more is needed. But in terms of the social injustice and equality, this is the worst thing that can happen for a Biden administration. They are trying to do the right thing by, by virtue of what they do, they actually make things worse. It has to be said, they are not fully you know, uh, in control of the weather and what's happening in the agriculture, but, but everything they do actually makes the marginal cost more expensive in the system because, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for solving for inequality. And I'm so, I mean, basically very much for green transformation and I'm very much for better infrastructure, but trying to solve them at the same time, Adam, is very, very, very challenging. And it's not possible. 
every single one of them on their own would have been a formidable challenge to deal with. And I think what is happening right now is that the certainly the, the infrastructure has gone by the wayside. You know, I'm, I'm laughing at the, at the fact that, that the U.S. government thinks that 1.8 billion or 2 billion over eight years is enough to maintain the, the infrastructure in the U.S. I, I know I make this joke every time, but you know, Sorry, just when to I chime go through in, it, but 1.8 trillion, you meant, right? Yeah, 1.8, of course, yeah, 1.8 trillion, yeah. Trillion, billions, you know, it's become, uh, <laughs> no, but, but the, the point here being, it, it's not enough. I mean, uh, there is a uh, McKinsey, Boston Group, all of them have made estimation of what the world needs globally, and that's 5 trillion a year. And the US is underinvested massively. So as I always make the joke about, you know, I go through airports in the US that are worse than the, some of the airports that I, I, I visit to the third world countries. And that's just one sign of it. And your potholes in the roads going up north, north of New York, whatever, you see it all the time. I mean, US needs infrastructure, clearly. Green transformation, you know, we can discuss the technology and the investment needed to, to get there. But if, if we just move halfway to the aspiration of green energy, the commodity price will be tenfold higher because simply the cover demand in the electric vehicle alone will need, the supply side will need to increase by tenfold just to keep up with the demand. So what I'm saying is that I'm, it, it's a circular argument where all the good ideas and great ideas, and let me stress, I'm for all three of them, in particularly social injustice and green transformation. Uh, but, 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 but the fact is we cannot solve all of them. We really, we, we, are in a, we have so much that we have so little productivity that we need to focus on what can we do best possible and I think, and I know you have been a proponent to some extent of that as well, that on the energy side, we need to find the next technology that makes it possible to get to that CO2 reduction through new innovation, fusion energy or hydro or whatever we get to. But, but we are not going to get it with doing windmills that was invented 2000 years ago and, and solar cells. That's, that's not going to give us. You saw that in Texas. You saw it everywhere. So, so as a practical top-down macro guy and flying around the world, I see all this aspiration and, 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 I, and I want to believe in it. But when I do the calculus on, a, on the back of an elbow, it just not up. It just simply not add up. But the only thing that adds up is that the march of cost of capital will have to go and inflation will have to come up because supply and demand is not met. And as you say, my, my dominant theme for the last nine months has been the physical world is simply too small. And we haven't even talked about the underinvestment in mining at the the grading of the ores. I mean, the most ores today in, in metals is at less than 1%. So in other words, understand this fully. I mean, less than 1% of what they dig out of the ground can actually be used. Yeah, um, this is, we have to have another uh, interview at some point soon here, Steen, because there's so much to get into and so little time we have left. But yeah, I've actually been to the Bingham Canyon mine where you see these just un unbelievably huge trucks that are being used to, uh, to rip the ore out of the ground. They run around like bees. I mean, there's just, you know, hundreds of these truckloads uh, delivered an hour, it seems. And uh, the amount of ore that they actually get um, for this, you know, the volume of the rocks that they're taking out of the earth uh, is, is shockingly tiny. Um, and you just think of all the energy that's embedded in that and, and all the, the manpower and, and cost and everything. And it really does drive home that we are really kind of fighting over scraps at this point, it seems. So, um, all right, let's let's use this in uh, in getting to our last topic here, which is, okay, if uh, you know many of the viewers watching this are, are saying, okay, Steen's a really smart guy, this all makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how do I, you know, try to position for this in terms of my portfolio? Um, you know, both to sort of, uh, you know, ride some of these trends, but also to avoid some of the uh, 
uh, you know, potential risk here in the system. Um, I, I know uh, we don't have a ton of time to get into it, but I know from some of your recent publications, I mean, you mentioned commodities and, and you, you see the commodity boom continuing. You say we're in the early innings here, but I know in particular, you've mentioned that uh, you're looking at gold and the miners and whatnot. And you see that as a, or see now as a really favorable time for that industry. I'll, I'll cut to the, the punchline here, which is how are you positioning right now for all of this? So I have 20% in uh, commodities. And, and what we need to say to anyone interested in commodities is that commodities is actually a yielding uh, asset. It's actually like the equity premium that you can derive from equity. Uh, most of the agriculture now is giving you 10, 15% a year in, in carry yield. So positive yield, so I have the, uh, I have to, you can do it very simply in the ETF through DBC, for instance, Vesco's uh, commodity index. And there you also have the yield care. So 20% in commodities to start with what everybody doesn't have. Then I have 5% in the mid curve of uh, VIX volatility. That is what I call my fire insurance. I have 7% in crypto. I would love to expand on that just for, for a quick second, two seconds, but I have 7% in crypto. Uh, and I have uh, tips and uh, 10, uh, 30 year US in the equity in, in the fixed income and about 35% overall equity exposure split down. So you can imagine. And then I have uh, REITs and, and, and real estate for 20% for as well. So the big chunk is 35% in equity, 20% in, in real estate and 20% in commodities. And then I'm buying all of these insurance policies from, uh, from, from the everything else, the tips from the volatility and the crypto. But, but what I think, and, and, and I think you were almost making fun of me last time because I mean, you know, with the lack of hair and being an old guy, I was actually long crypto uh, for a very long time. But what I think is interesting over the last two weeks, there's really been a new breed of investment or new thinking in, in the crypto space. So like everybody else, I started by buying crypto and Ethereum. But we have to remember this is first and second generation technology. So what is happening now is that a number of these emerging uh, cryptos, and I'm not mentioning anybody, but anyone can figure it out, that, 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 that the new crypto world is actually more applicable, more practical. So you can be for and against Bitcoin for whatever reason, because you can also be for and against gold. But, but, but the, the next generation of an iteration that we see in, in crypto and blockchain in particular will be where you have scalability, you have some environmental concerns, and you certainly have the ability to be disruptable smart contract. So I think that space is definitely something where I spend a lot of time. But going back to, I think it's a key question always for you, gold. I was bearish on gold as long as the, 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 the two things drive gold, basically, the price of money and inflation. The price of money was rising faster than inflation, and that was putting downward pressure. But when we broke above 1810 on a daily close, we became bullish again. And now what is happening is that real interest rates are collapsing. So the two components that, that goes either against each other or, or work simultaneously coincidence here is that the inflation and the price of money. So price of money is not going up that much. Price of inflation is going up heavily. So the net effect is that real rates are dropping more negatively, which supports gold. Ultimately, we will also see higher interest rates, as I talked about talked about before. Uh, I think August becomes first of August becomes dominant because of the general account. So what I'm seeing right now is that everything is actually working in favor of gold and the gold upside, which has been subdued because it is the thermometer of the the sort of interchange between price of money or price of inflation going up. And right now you have a standstill in, in, in the rate side, but you have a much higher inflation expectation. And that, that's what's driving gold in my opinion. And ultimately, of course, you have to put the dollar into the equation as well, but, but dollar being 
uh, also slightly weaker after Friday's numbers. So, so very bullish, and I'm particularly bullish on, on, on silver. Uh, and that's interesting for people who trade the ratio. When, the, when we do sort of a quantitative analysis, the ratio of silver to gold, silver always goes up when inflation goes up. So the ratio of gold-silver is driven by the inflation expectation. The higher the expectation inflation, the bigger the silver uh, ratio gets to gold. Wow, okay, that's a great uh, data point. I know we have a number of viewers that are probably furiously taking notes on that. Um, uh, and I'm curious, when you're investing in gold and silver, are you mostly doing it in the metals themselves or are you investing in the producers? So I have, to, I have to do a little commercial. Of course, I have the luxury of, of, of working at Saxo Bank, which is a global platform. We have 30, 25 ways of buying gold, but, but I, I'm a foreign exchange guy, Adam. So I just, buy, I just buy the futures because that's the way I control it. But if I want leverage through the equity portfolio, I buy the miners as well. And for the record, like stuff like Barrick and whatever has broken up as well. So the same pattern that we saw in iron ore and we saw in copper two, three weeks ago is now coming up and repeating in silver, uh, predominantly, but also in the gold miners. So, so on, on a relative margin risk, I'm increasing exposure to miners in gold and to uh, the uh, silver in terms of the futures, because that chart, in my opinion, and out of charges, but, but from my 30 years of experience, the chart right now in, in silver is quite beautiful. Great, and, and when you say quite beautiful, um, I, I want to rephrase what you said, so correct me if I say it wrong, but we haven't really yet seen gold and silver have the type of price appreciation that a lot of the base metals or lumber or, or other you know, agricultural commodities have had. Are you, are you now saying that you see them as being poised to, to, to now participate in that type of upside? Absolutely, I think there'll be a catch-off game, a rotation uh, in that. In particular, silver, of course, which is industrial. And that's why also, of course, silver gold ratio is driven by the inflation expectation. When inflation happens and the chart starts to set up, I, I go long. And I haven't been long uh, gold in my portfolio, except for the overall broad uh, commodity exposure I have index-wise. But, but now I'm actually buying again uh, gold in my portfolios. Uh, that's really and, interesting. And silver, of course, silver, of course, as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's really interesting to hear only because um, in addition to you and you, you've been in them before previous parts of your career, but we're hearing from very successful investors. Uh, there was uh, Sam Zell a couple of days ago who said, you know, the guy's almost 80 and he said, this is the first time in my career I've actually bought gold. So um, there does seem to be, you know, lots of other people that are coming to a similar conclusion. Uh, lots of other successful money managers. So, so Steve, we're going to. What you're saying, all the what you're saying is all the old guys are trying to buy gold again. That's really what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, look, I, I include both you and me in that, so don't worry. Um, well, Steve, look, uh, as always, such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being so uh, generous and giving in terms of both sharing your insights, but also again the specifics of how you at Saxo are, are managing a portfolio around this. Um, I already know I, I'm going to have a ton of requests to bring you back as soon as possible, but would love to have you back on, you know, at some point in Q3. And hopefully you can make some audible calls about what's happening then, because we should be into the sort of, you know, decline cycle that you're predicting before the spigots get turned back on again. So if you're willing, we'd love to have you back on then. We'd love to be there. Absolutely. Anytime, Adam. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much. And we'll have you on again soon. And as we do each week, I'm now going to follow up with the lead partners of New Harbor Financial for a little bit of uh, post-game recap of what Steen just said. I'm joined here by Mike Preston and John Lodra. Uh, John, why don't we start with you? Um, great to get that update from Steen. Seems like he still sees a lot of what he told us back in December uh, still ahead. 
Uh, what was your general reaction to what he had to say? Yeah, we always really appreciate uh, Steen's uh, commentaries. He's a, a true and true macro uh, macro, macro picture guy. He, he, he doesn't leave any any stone unturned, I guess you could say, in terms of how he, he forms uh, uh, his, his um, context for, for thinking about things. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, in some ways, uh, you know, kind of the playbook is, is, has been out there, right? So, you know, it's not a particularly bold and maybe even unsurprising call to say that, you know, there's going to be trouble again uh, that we've probably reached uh, with the second quarter here, peak, peak uh, you know, sentiment, peak, you know, economic conditions, peak market valuations, and that that likely will at the very least give, give way to low probabilities of, of further material upside from here um, in the stock market and, and very decent probability of going nowhere to, to more decidedly down. But that will ultimately lead to the same kind of knee-jerk uh, reaction by policymakers and, until they can't anymore, until inflation becomes a, an impossible um, thing they have to wrestle with. And we've gotten some pretty um, pretty notable inflationary uh, numbers coming through uh, just recently. So, so it, it would have the appearance that the, the runway for this uh, going back to the well of, of you know, re-stimulation, spending, printing, all that stuff is uh, the you know the policymakers will, will likely go to that well in a, in a uh, in another um, you know kind of uh, out of market weakness, but the the, the runway is getting pretty short on that. Um, so yeah, yeah, and I think I think a big question there is you know how much market weakness might we see in the in between before they step back in again? Um, and you know we've got people like uh, the David Hunters and. Uh, 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 we had um, Eric Hickman on last week. You know, both those guys are, are predicting a 50 plus percent correction. Um, Hunter, very specifically this summer, I think Eric was a little bit more uncertain of the timing, but thought it was sooner rather than later. Uh, uh, Jeremy Grantham had sort of predicted uh, 50 plus percent this summer. Um, so, you know, I think we're all kind of guessing, you know, uh, you know, is it going to be a little bit of weakness before the, the Fed and the central bankers step in, other central banks step in, or, or could it be pretty substantial? And of course, nobody knows, as we've been talking about on many past uh, videos here, uh, past weeks on this video, uh, you guys are positioned quite defensively. And one thing I just want to point out is what's kind of interesting about the past week is, um, you know, month after month after month on this program, we've been talking about how the market just is grinding higher and higher and higher despite its record level uh, evaluations. It just keeps you know, getting even more and more distorted on the upside. Over the past week plus, we've really seen um, the markets cool off a little bit. Um, definitely we've seen the, the upward trajectory slow or, or stop entirely in certain cases. And interestingly, you know, the high flyers that have really powered the momentum and the sense of euphoria going forward all seem to be kind of stalled out here. You know, when I kind of go down the list, right, you look at SPACs, SPAC issuance has almost dried up. Uh, you look at cryptocurrencies, which is where, you know, a lot of enthusiasm has been. Um, Bitcoin has uh, cooled off pretty substantially from its all-time high over the past couple of weeks. It's now below $50,000. Um, Dogecoin, which of course I've railed about in the past as I think sort of the the largest and stupidest uh, poster child of this mania is now down basically 50% in just the past five days. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty huge uh, coming off. Of course, I think that still has a lot farther to fall. Um, but the crypto market, you know, since Elon Musk came out the other day and said Tesla is not going to take it as a form of payment, um, it's lost almost 
half a trillion dollars in market cap since then, if you go across all of the cryptocurrencies. So, you know, the bloom is really off the rows of these um, sort of story assets. And even if we look at big tech, you know, the big names like Tesla that have been driving this, Tesla is now under 600 bucks a share. Um, so, uh, you know, we would kind of expect to sort of see all of this before a large market reversal. It's sort of the point I'm building up to here is we would expect to see uh, the more speculative players begin to cool off first before the general market cooled off. Uh, Mike, let me go to you. Are you guys kind of watching this as closely as I am as a sign that maybe, you know, maybe things might be cooling off to the point where we begin to see, you know, maybe the beginnings of, of lower prices ahead? Of course. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing all the same things. You know, you mentioned Tesla. It's, it is below 600. You know, you mentioned the SPACs. They've rolled over. In fact, that's happened for the last couple of months. The crypto related names like Riot, for instance, you know, or MicroStrategy, they're all down hard. And these are all names that everyone wanted to buy, that the people we were talking to uh, over the last few months, prospects and, you know, clients were asking about them and clients, family members are asking about them. Everyone wanted in and they have quietly topped, you know, at least so far. And, and even this week, you know, the market is showing some change in character it's off a couple percent. And, you know, the media are saying things like, well, it's, a, you know, the, the correction's probably over. It's a good time to buy. And we saw a really healthy bounce today after last, uh, after yesterday's drop, the Dow was just up almost 600 points. Um, a couple hours ago, it had a little bit of a weak close. So it's, there's, there's, you have to look for these signposts, these little clues that tell you the market is trying to top. It's, it's a very long kind of process and it fans out over a period of time. And, yeah, the evidence and the clues that you just talked about are ones that we're watching closely. The NASDAQ is down um, more than, you know, the S&P early this morning, or I should say yesterday. The NASDAQ was basically flat for the year, having given up its gain for the year. It's bounced a little bit now. But we won't know for sure that the market has topped until many, many months after it has, if history's any guide. And the job of the market is to suck people in even as it's declining, that is the job of the market. And, you know, just we, we're constantly um, debating with each other about what the Fed's going to do, how much of a drop is it going to take? You know, I guess I'd say, does it really matter? I mean, Steen said something like, um, you know, you're, if you're the Fed, you know, you're wrong, but you keep doing the same thing because it's the only game in town. You know, that's pretty scary. I mean, why that doesn't scare the heck out of us, I don't know. But all of us in financial in the financial world kind of debate with each other about what the Fed's going to do. And ultimately, what really matters is, you know, what is it going to work? Is it going to ultimately work? We think that ultimately math prevails here and that these overvalued markets go through a bear market maybe over the next one to two years. And uh, we have tools to navigate that. I'll start. All right. Well, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I'd love you to comment quickly there on, Mike, um, is we've been talking a lot in sort of the past month or so about FOMO and about people really, um, you know, as the, as the euphoria continues to rage on, it wears down on people's, um, uh, you know, stamina for resisting the, its siren song. And eventually you have people who had told themselves they weren't going to get caught up with it, um, beginning to find that they want to jump in. Uh, and of course, that's classic late stage of a, of a bubble is, um, you know, those people break, they jump in, then the bubble corrects and they, they you know, lose all their money. Um, but I have seen over the past week or so a little bit of a change in tenor 
of the interactions that I've had with people that have been inquiring about the markets and whatnot, um, where it's beginning to shift a little bit from FOMO, like, geez, I really got to get in here, uh, more to, you know, oh my gosh, things are cooling off a bit. You know, is this the time that we dance close to the door and start sprinting out? Um, are you, you, you guys talk to people all day long. Are you seeing any sort of tenor shift like that yet? Well, it's hard to say because I, I had a couple of meetings today um, and, and it was definitely FOMO still, you know, and, and it's funny, it gets to a point where you just don't even care if you're wrong psychologically, you just have to do something, you know, you just have to do something. So there's been a lot of that over the last, I'd say four or five months, particularly the last two or three months. It's just been an increasing, um, you know, kind of amplitude of that. Are we seeing um, caution? I, I can't really say I'm seeing more maybe cautious articles and things like that. And of course, a bullish person would say, well, that's, you know, that's sign of the wall of worry. So you just have to be in it. This is a healthy correction of a couple percent. So jump in. But I haven't really been seeing much caution. Not yet, Adam, you know, to be honest. So it's we'll talk about it next week and, and we'll see what it looks like then. Okay, but the pulse you have your finger on still seems like it's tilted a bit more towards FOMO. Yep. Um, well, John, you had sent over a chart um, recently, um, basically comparing, uh, you know, it's a, it's a time series back to the, the mid 80s, I'll put it on the screen here. Um, but it shows the number of companies trading at greater than 10 times sales. And again, I think that's a, an indicator of excessive market valuations. And uh, if you look at this, uh, the, uh, the, the tweeter here that, that's along with the chart says, um, the 1999-2000 bubble looks so cute in this chart. Uh, and I guess it does in terms of uh, order of magnitude compared to uh, the period that we're in right now. Um, uh, I'll let you comment on this since you shared it, but this certainly seems like yet another good data point that suggests that we are in uncharted territory on the uh, distortion upwards uh, story here. Yeah, no, happy Adam. And, and you know, if it, if it isn't um, utterly clear in our weekly commentaries on these videos, um, you know, we are, uh, call, call us crazy or not, but we're, we're, we're slaves to reality <laughs> and, and uh, data uh, is the best form of reality that we can uh, point to, um, to at least have an, a sense for how extreme things are because you know hearing a, a sound clip on tv that hey stocks are undervalued or this or that without having some perspective that's just words right so you look at a chart like this first of all it's price to sales um you, know, you see it it's cute because it's it's so out of the stratosphere of anything we've ever seen before um and and you know price to sales you know sales is is the most um unadulterated i guess uh, financial metric that a company can report you know they can do all kinds of financial engineering to, you know, manipulate earnings, this and that. But price to sales is kind of a, you know, kind of a, a truer, uh, unadulterated uh, metric. And, and kind of, kind of is what it is, unless you're doctoring your sales book. Yeah, right? of course you can cook the books on sales and, and do all kinds of. But it's a less uh, adulterable, I guess, uh, data series than earnings. Um, you know, so so yeah, we're we're crazy extreme. So so you know, we as fiduciaries for our clients have to always inject that reality, right? Um, we could debate all day long what the policymakers are going to do and what effect it might have on markets. But don't for a moment believe that um, these markets are not in absolutely nosebleed, never before seen territory. They are. And when people are talking about their only chance at retiring and living securely, 
you know, please at least have that perspective uh, if you're going to have a FOMO mindset or 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 or, or let the, the demons in one's head kind of talk oneself into, you know, kind of just jump in it with two feet. It's 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 dangerous. There's no there's only one way to look at it. Um, we are in uncharted territory, policy-wise, market-wise, and you know something's going to give. And and um, you know, just at least understand that you're you're gambling. Um, you know, you know, perhaps your financial security by by dismissing the data that we we see before us. I'd like to just comment one one thing on yeah. There's still a kind of a vein of FOMO, but I got to tell you, we um, we're fueled. We 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 are so lucky to get very frequent um, emails, calls, whatever from our clients. You know, basically saying, you know, we really appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, we respect that you are speaking what seems to be truth in the data and, and we know it's hard to do and that's 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 who we are that's what we'll do um we're we're, we're not we're humble we we will never um deny a client or or a different opinion or perspective but we're always gonna be tethered to what we see as reality and and uh, go from there um so good and you know that i i, I hope i give you guys your your due on this uh program enough uh to say that you know that's exactly why we at wealthy on have the relationship with you guys is to help people keep grounded in the data going back to the interview we did a few weeks ago with robert cialdini you know not to be in a position where you're making uh decisions about your financial future from an emotionally triggered uh, uh point of view or state. Um, in other words, you know, you're working with a professional who's keeping you grounded in the data and helping you make logical, empirical decisions. So um, glad again, you guys are out there doing that for folks. Um, well, look, as we begin to wrap things up here, guys, you know, Steen, when we'd had him on back uh, in December, um, he very much to his credit said, there is an epic commodities boom coming. And certainly that's been the theme of uh, the past couple months. Um, when I asked him in this interview, you know, if he thought that uh, that had run its course, he said, no, not at all. We're just in the early innings of this. And so I think that's something that folks um, really should be paying attention here is, is um, you know, it is not uh, too late at all to consider looking at some of these commodities. Um, you know, as we talk about the uh, kind of the, the dangerous shoals that we have to navigate here, that there might be some price correction uh, in the near term, but then there might be some uh, additional policy responses from the central planners that flood the, the system again with, with money. Um, you know, as we say often, you, uh, you don't want to try to kill yourself on uh, the cross of, of trying to time the markets too much. In a lot of these cases, uh, these events can happen quite quickly, these repricing events, particularly around commodities, where you kind of either have your position before uh, the price gets uh, that, that, that price shift comes uh, or you don't. And it can be very off, uh, very hard to get, you know, uh, get on them once they've, they've really, uh, you know, shifted quickly. So um, I, I just wanted to sort of reiterate that because uh, I know that, uh, you know, Steen was saying that he's still very heavily in commodities. I know that you guys, while you are playing a lot of defense right now, your uh, few long positions are commodity plays. Um, we've talked about your guys' uh, stakes in, uh, the precious metals mining companies, the producers there. You've mentioned that you've uh, purchased relatively recently some oil producers. How have those been faring so far? Why don't we go to you, Mike? They've been faring very well. I mean, we've actually been in oil since, uh, or oil producers, I should say, oil producers and refiners since, uh, I think, December. We, we've got some hedges around them, like we do with all of our positions. 
because of the S&P being what we think is a potential crash state, you know, uh, at these valuations. But, you know, we've got a, an 8 to 10% position in oil producers. They're doing well. Um, and they're following crude oil up. Crude oil is, um, is highly correlated to what the oil producers do. But we're also looking very closely at other commodities. And we've seen things like grains and base metals take off. And I just mentioned oil. Energy has taken off. If you look at you know some of the exchange traded funds like DBC, which is heavy energy, it's got a nice chart. DBA, our agriculture, it's got a nice chart. Frankly, a little extended. You know, we've been waiting for pullbacks in these things. Uh, we're just starting to see pullbacks actually today. Take you know, take a look at agriculture. You know, corn was down five percent, so that makes you know DBA, the agriculture ETF, pullback. Uh, we're looking at these things very closely. We're trying to bide our time and pick our entries. We agree with Steen that we're probably in the early innings of a, of a commodity boom. Um, we don't have to be exact on timing, but you know, we think it's probably no rush either. And so we're waiting for an opportunity to add another piece of something in the commodity space. Might be base metals, might be natural gas producers, might be grains or other things like that. And um, you know, we think we're getting close to being able to do something there. All right, great. Well, John, look, I'll let you have the last uh, last word for the week. Um, anything else you want to add to what Mike said or just sort of wrapping up what you guys are seeing right now with uh, you know, the various clients that you talk to from around the country? Yeah, no, I, I really don't have much to add. Um, you know, it's been a pretty pretty volatile week so far. We had a couple, you know, decently down days. Uh, big, big, huge surprise inflation print, uh, you know, uh, recently. Um, you know, um, so there's, there's definitely some cross currents that are, are reverberating through markets. Um, you know, we have seen uh, an uptick of folks reaching out to us of, of late. Um, you know, I think starting to, you know, you know, you, you might imagine that folks are a little bit maybe near the exits and, and uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to get these uh, folks reaching out for, for reviews with us. And, and there's been a little bit of an uptick there. So that might be a, a sign that some of the, uh, you know, um, risk aversion is starting to, to creep back into folks' minds. Um, but, uh, We'll keep watching and, and acting uh, as we, we think is appropriate. All right, great. Well, if you're watching this and you have not yet had a conversation with the folks at New Harbor, uh, John and Mike and their team, we let folks know this every week. Um, they give financial consultations to folks. Uh, you just give them a quick shout. Uh, they will sit down with you, go over your personal financial situation, and they'll tell you exactly what they think they should do. There's no obligation to work with them. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, if you have any interest in scheduling one of those, it takes literally like 15 seconds. Stick around at the end of the video. It's coming up in just a minute here. Uh, and we tell you exactly how to do that. Um, but as John said, and I alluded to a bit earlier, um, if you are one of those people who's sort of been waiting uh, to kind of get your ducks in a row uh, in terms of how you might position for uh, the end of this massive kind of, you know, mania that we've been having in the past year or so, um, you know, time may be running out. And I went through that list of sort of high flyers that we're seeing begin to sort of tick off. Um, uh, again, no better time than now. It's the kind of thing you'd much rather be months early than a day late on. So if you haven't done it yet, consider doing that. All right, guys, as we wrap it up here, uh, I just also want to remind folks that our June 5th online conference, the first one Wealthion's ever done, um, since we're such a new brand, uh, is shaping up uh, just awesome. Uh, I've gone through the, the names here before, so I won't go through all of them, but ones like Lacey Hunt, Grant Williams, Stephanie Pomboy, Lynn Alden, David Hunter, uh, Matt Tybee, Mike Maloney. I mean, the list just goes on. 
John and Mike are going to be my co-hosts for the day. Uh, and we are going to have an amazing uh, day where, where we just roll up our sleeves and really, really dig into these issues uh, with these speakers. And where possible, uh, we're going to have them available for live Q&A. So there'll be some live audience interaction there. If you're interested in learning more about this, go to Wealthion.com conference. And uh, if you register in the next couple of days, you can secure the early bird price. So if you're thinking about coming, uh, definitely do it sooner rather than later to lock in that price discount. Um, all right, as always, as we wrap up here, if you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to this channel by clicking on the red subscribe, not, uh, subscribe now button below and that little bell icon. That's where you'll get alerted every time we have a new video in the future. You won't have to go hunting around for them. Uh, if you're curious to see who we're going to bring on in the future or want to give me suggestions on who to bring on as a guest, follow me on Twitter at, at MenloBear. And uh, guys, I think that's it. Um, again, if you haven't had a, a consultation with John or Mike yet and the team at New Harbor, stick around. That's coming right up now. But John and Mike, whatever happens from here, you and I will be watching it closely each week as we do. And I will see you on this channel next week. See you next week. Thanks a lot, Adam. Bye now, Adam. We'll see you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-US clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.